All right, so we're going to continue to go through the fruit of the Spirit. Um, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, if we were to break it down into fruit juices, it would look like this. These are the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that uh, God produces inside of us. And at the same time, I think these are all things, qualities that we would like to have uh, in that you and God working in tandem. He wants to produce or does produce those things in you, and we would like to grow in those things as well. Um, when we work in tandem with God, we call that process discipleship. And discipleship is that I am a student of Jesus, that he is my teacher, that I follow him, um, that he is helping me to grow. He's helping me to mature in the faith, to be able to uh, become more and more of a man of God or a woman of God. And so how do we grow as students of Jesus? Um, well, one of the main ways is that we intentionally use our time well, like I have said the uh, past couple Sundays, when we go and get a bunch of tomato seeds, we don't just throw them all over our property property and hope that they grow. No, we intentionally buy a specific tomato seed because we look at the picture and we think that we can actually grow something that looks anything remotely like that. We're like, I can grow this. And then I plant it in a specific spot and I put it in, in good soil and I water it and make sure it has sun, all these things. I'm very intentional with growing my own fruit, growing tomatoes. And so when we think about intentionally using our time in this way, the way that I break it down or I find it to be most helpful is that I use my time in this way and that one, I connect with the Father or my up. And I'm making sure that I'm connected with him. And then I have the in portion of my life where I connect with my brothers and sisters within church. And then out, uh, which is then what is the mission that God has for me? How do I express the fruit that he is growing in, inside my life? And, and how do I show that to the world around me? So that's what discipleship looks like. That he's my teacher. And then I intentionally use my time to be able to grow in that relationship with him. So when we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, it comes from Galatians, and in this book, Paul is explaining the difference between someone who attempts to live by the law or rules and someone who is a new creation in Christ or someone who is led by the Spirit. And so it comes out of Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 through 26. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since you are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So today we are going to be looking at patience which I assume is everyone's favorite topic, is to talk about patience. And again, I think it's so funny. I mean, I've heard it. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and then you start hearing these things like, don't pray for patience, man, because you'll just get trials. And I'm like, this can't be true. And then I pray for patience. I'm like, then my week has been horrible. Uh, maybe if we prayed for trials, we'd get more patience. Um, so we have love, joy, and peace, and they're all really nice but patience is really a difficult fruit of the Spirit. I think we all want to be more patient, 
Um, and at the same time, we all, everyone in the room has very embarrassing stories of when we have lost our patience, uh, blown up, and made fools of ourselves. I can think of examples of myself when I've been in the car. For some reason, I, I think that God's not watching me in the car. I can think of my marriage, where I've just made a fool of myself, or even with my kids. And I think we've all been there to where we have lost it to such a degree, and it's so embarrassing, but we would all like to grow in being patient. Um, I think that some days are better than others, and some days are really hard, but how do we like tap into... Uh, biblical patience. How do we grow in our patience? And I think that there's two types of patience, or at least that I'll look at today or and talk about for a little bit, is one, having patience with other people. And then two, having patience with time and with God. Um, because I know that we can become impatient with time and with God. Um, I think that biblical patience is really funny. When I was thinking about like, okay, well, let's look at some examples of biblical patience. Um, most people in the Bible actually lose their patience. It's really hard to find someone in the Bible who didn't lose their patience. When I think about Jesus, Paul, Peter, John the Baptist, they all actually lost their patience, or at least the way in which I would see patience being. So here's a couple of examples from Jesus's life. In Matthew 15, 15 through 16, this is the message version. Uh, Peter said, I don't get it. Put it in plain language. And Jesus replied, you too? Are you being willfully stupid? You're like, Jesus, wow, that's tough, man. Uh, Matthew 21, uh, 12 through 13. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So here's Jesus. My wife and I got into a long discussion about this. She's like, Jesus didn't lose his patience because he, he had to braid up something, and so he was taking his time. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can still lose my patience and like be premeditated about what it is that I'm about to do. And so here you see Jesus. Um, there's a couple of examples where you're like, Jesus, it doesn't seem like you're being the most patient. Um, Paul, in one of his letters, literally says that he's turning people over to Satan so that they might be taught a lesson. Like, whoa, Paul. Uh, Peter slashes someone's ears off in the garden as Jesus is being arrested. Like, oh, whoa, like these guys wrote the Bible here. Uh, John the Baptist calls people, you brood of vipers. So you're like, okay, so where are we getting this example of, of patience? And then I'm like, well, surely Mary was patient. She never lost her patience. And then Linda said, no, I don't think so. She said when at the, you know, the wedding, uh, she actually looked at Jesus and she, my, and I don't disagree with my wife. She says, no, son, you're going to make wine right now. So, all the fruits can be seen in Jesus, and this is true. And so then, when we're thinking about godly patience, or biblical patience, it's a really interesting topic. 
Um, but what we can say is that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. And even if we have examples of Jesus being impatient, we can say that Jesus was impatient without sinning. That is for sure. So even though he says these things, there's no sinning that's happening. And, and I think that as we get impatient, that is our goal too. Like, I, I don't even know what a life without being impatient looks like. Um, but certainly one that doesn't like graduate into sin is something that I'm, I'm, I'm aiming at. So why do we get impatient? Um, I think that in just simply put that things aren't going our way, and so um, I get impatient. Things aren't going the way that I want them to. Uh, I have an idea of how it's supposed to work out, and it doesn't. The traffic isn't moving as fast as I want it to. Um, my wife and I aren't getting along for some specific reason, that she's doing something or I'm doing something that's annoying, and that God isn't doing what I think that he should do. And so when it comes down to it, I would say that the thing that we're wrestling with is control. Like, I want control. I want things to be a particular way, either in my marriage, in my life, in my relationship with him, in traffic, at Starbucks, at work, and it's not going that way. And so I become impatient. Um, so how do I increase in my ability to be patient? First, I'm going to talk about people and then with God. I think that the first off, when we're talking about people, because we all get frustrated with other people. That's just a normal part of being a person. If you're in any type of relationship with someone else, it's frustrating. Even if it's like your best friend, uh, it's just, right, we get frustrated with being around other people. And so when we think about a biblical perspective on being patient with other people, I think it's important for us to like understand uh, God's perspective on all of this. And so we're going to look at John chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When, his, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So when we think about being patient with other people, it's really important for us to understand what it is that we're looking at, what it is that we're dealing with the, when, we're, when we're wrestling with being impatient with other people. And I think that this scripture, this story that, um, about Jesus saying, well, whoever is sinless then cast the first stone. And I think that it communicates a really powerful truth for us when we're dealing with other people is, one, I'm not sinless. I wouldn't be able to throw the first stone because of the things that I've done in my life. I know that I am not sinless. Two, I know that you're not sinless. No one in the room. We all are broken. We live in a broken world. I know that I will let other people down. 
in my life. And I know that I will be let down by other people. So it's not just me. I know that I will let you down and I know that people in my life will let me down because I live in a broken world that that essentially when Jesus says this, he's, he's daring anyone to throw the first stone. And if you're sinless to go ahead and do that. But nobody can because no one is sinless. So I think a really important thing to be able to have when we're dealing with other people um, is this idea of charity that I need to be charitable towards other people and know that not only am I broken, but that other people are broken too. It's not, it's not just me, that everyone's wrestling with what it means to be human, with what it means to deal with day-to-day -day life, with bills, with relationship, with work, you know, with all of these things. And so being able to have charity for others and being able to have charity for um, other people and for myself at the same time. I think if we, if we were to look, when you look at this picture and you see this man running and you see that he has no feet, it's easy for us to cheer him on. To We all know that he's going through greater difficulty than everyone else who's running who actually has the lower part of his legs. And that we're excited for him. We're like, yes, good job. Um, and we have more grace for him. We have more charity for him because we know that he is disabled in this way. And so when we think about other people, I think that oftentimes we don't see ourselves and we don't see other people as being broken. Like, why would you do that to me? You should know better. But in reality, when we look at the biblical perspective, we're all, we all have sin and we're all broken. So in many ways, or in, in all sorts of ways, we too are not like totally functional as we should be. And uh, Paul puts it like this in Romans 3.23, is that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. So when I go shopping and the person's really nice and everything, that person's broken. When I'm in a car and someone cuts me off, they're broken. When I do something that I'm really embarrassed by and I like freak out over something, then I need to be charitable towards myself because I know that I'm broken. I'm not as I should be. And so we live in this broken world. Um, why, when we take communion every Sunday, why was Jesus' body broken for us? Because we're broken. Uh, why was Jesus' blood poured out for us? Because we sin. And so if we're not able to see the world rightly, to be able to see people rightly, to be able to have grace for them and be charitable towards them, um, that'd be a bummer because everyone is broken, sinful. So again, just having grace for people and being charitable towards them. I think something that would be really good for all of us to do, if we really looked at people the way that God looks at people, um, we would, be able, we would uh, put these types of sunglasses on to be able to see the world in a good way. Okay? So when I don't have these glasses on, I'm like, you guys should know better. But when I put these on, I'm like, oh. Okay, I see much better now.
right? So it all depends on what it is that we're, we're, we see when we look at people. If I see people who are hurting, people who are confused, people who are frustrated, people who have gone through a great deal of pain, then it is helpful, like a really good thing. Like you have no idea what it is that that person has been going through today. That person could be cutting you off on the road because they're desperately just trying to get home because something happened to their kid that fell off the counter and has to go to the hospital. We don't know. The world is a broken place. And everyone has a limp, so to say. Everyone is broken. And so if we have this perspective, then it's easier for me to extend charity. Like, okay, right, you're not 100% put together, and neither am I. And you need grace, that's why Jesus came, and I need grace, and hopefully I can extend grace to you. So, um, I did put that picture up, and then I found these glasses at my house, and now I know why my wife has been wearing them when she talks to me. So that's good, now I know. Thanks, honey. What about when I'm impatient with God? Psalm 13, 1 through 4. Um, how long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him lest my fo foes rejoice because I am shaken. How long, O oh Lord? How many of us have been impatient with God? Like, this is not working out the way that I thought it was going to work out. This is, this is not working out the way that I thought you told me it was going to work out. Where, O oh God, are your promises in my life? How long, O oh Lord? How long am I going to deal with this? I'm not, I mean, if you haven't been impatient with God, then you're not in a relationship with Him. It's just a normal part of being in a relationship with Him. It's tough. We can get very impatient with God, and for good reason, too. Um, our youth pastors and the guy that was playing drums here, John and Erica Tuggle, they were in Indonesia for a period of time. Some of you know this story, some of you don't. And then they came back. They had to come back. It was not related to what was about to happen in their life. And they came back, and their son, Sean, got sick. I mean, I think he was five. This is little four. Just this little tiny guy. And at first, it was only because one of his eyes started going sideways, and they didn't understand what was going on. None of us did. We were like, what's going on here? And come to find out that he actually had a, like, cancer in his brain. And it was inoperable. They couldn't operate on it because it was, if they went in there, it was connected and they just couldn't take it out. And so we prayed, we fasted, we did everything it is that we could as a church. And you just watched this slow and steady decline of this young man. I mean, like young, young man. That was really hard. That was brutal. How long, O oh Lord? Who didn't get mad at God? Like, Lord, 
He's just a little tiny kid. I'm amazed at John and Erica. Amazed. I think, I, you know, when I talk to people about this situation several different times, in that moment, when something like that that's basically catastrophic, what it is that you believe about God is going to be incredibly important. And I had told people many times that I thought and still think that it's their theology, the way that they believe about God or believe who he is, that ultimately I kept them functioning and as well as they are. How long, O oh Lord? And we've all been hurt. We've all been let down. We've all been saddened. Maybe not to that degree. Maybe some of you have. But we've all been hurt. We've all been disappointed and asked, how long, O oh Lord? But Jesus would say to, to build your faith on a firm foundation. And back to the whole idea with John and Erica, like God, however it works out, and I don't know, that God is in control and that God is good and that I need to build my foundation on that Jesus is good and Jesus will take care of me and Jesus will take care of all of this. And that's really hard. But I think in many ways we think like my faith in terms of my faith. Okay, well, I, I need to grow my faith that I need to become stronger. Like this is the thing, like I just need to become stronger. In part, that might be true. Um, but I think oftentimes, you guys, faith in him and trusting in him, which helps us not to become impatient and that we trust him, can oftentimes look like this. Do you guys remember these commercials? Where the fan is just blowing? I mean, being honest, faith sometimes looks like this. Like, I just need to sit in the chair and not get blown away. I need to hang on. That's my faith. I need to hang on through this storm. I need to hang on through all of this that's going on that just seems completely out of control. Sometimes that's what it feels like. Faith can look like this too. Like, I need others. I need to be around others. Sometimes I don't have the faith. Sometimes I need the faith of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Community, church. Following Jesus is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. It's something that we do together. Sometimes I don't have the faith. But when I talk to other people, they have the faith. And I'm able to get the faith that I need from them. And then last, what does faith look like to where I don't get impatient with God? Got to be one of my favorite worship hoses of all time. Resting in the Lord. I mean, in all honesty, how much can I actually do? How much power do I actually have? When I'm being impatient... What's going on inside of me in terms of my faith and trust in God? Can I, and 
<laughs> well, can I? I don't really have much of a choice. This is a funny thing. Like, I just got to let it go. It's a remainder of that psalm. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And I think, you know, the psalmist comes full circle. And how long, O Lord? But then in the end, I have trusted in your steadfast love. That God is good and God does take care of us. Um, has made, not, does not mean that my life or your life is going to be without difficulties, but just being able to trust him and know that he's good. So we have been doing an exercise at the end of each of uh, these sermons. It's called the question for Jesus. We ask question of Jesus, or we ask a question of Jesus, and then we write down our answer on the three by five cards that are on your on the uh, pews there. If you want to participate, you can. If not, because biblically speaking, and we also believe that God speaks to us, and so we hear from Him. And so I'm just going to throw a question up on the screen here. And then you can ask him this question. We'll take about a minute, and then you write down your answer. And then a couple of us will come and collect all those 3 by 5 cards, and then I'll read them all. And the reason that I read them all is because, again, following Jesus is a, something we do as a community. And so hearing other people's answers might be answers that really resonate with you and are meaningful to you. So it's not just about you. It's about all of us following him together. So... Um, the question is, Jesus, where do you see faith in my life? If you wrestle with hearing Jesus' voice, just write down the first thing that you hear. And, uh, yeah. Jesus, where do you see faith in my life and my willingness to forgive and carry on? You see me trust you when life throws me curveballs and know that you always have been faithful to me in your pursuit. Trusting that my children know who you are. I see more faith for healing for other people than I do for myself. Taking risks, surrendering. In the way you are learning to respond kindly to negative words from others. Being confident that God has everything under control. The visual I got was the faith to plant seeds in others, uh, like kids and family. My trust in the future. In your perseverance. Through my family. I see faith in you showing up. Even though you don't like church, you go. Jesus sees faith in my life last year when I didn't give up on my job. I believe he put me there, so I stayed. Future, learn to let go. As a parent, when I stopped arguing and gave up control, willingness to change for the better in the way you're working to build a relationship with me. Mm. Well, he obviously sees faith in all of us. 
trusting in him, becoming more patient people. We're going to have communion now. We do this every Sunday. The crackers represent Jesus' body that was broken for us. He allowed his body to be broken because his body was perfect. So that at the resurrection and he defeated sin and death, that at one point in time we will all too be able to have perfect bodies with him at the resurrection of the dead. But the wine represents his blood that was poured out for our sins, everything we've ever done, completely forgiven in Christ. So if you are a follower of Christ or if you would like to start following Jesus today, the communion table is open to you. The way that we do it is you come down the center aisle, you grab a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine, and then you'll go back around like this, uh, holding the elements until we all have them, and then we'll all take them together. So if you would like to take communion, please come forward. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you that you love us so much that you were willing to come down and allow yourself to be sacrificed for us. Jesus, help us to know how much you love us, how much you're for us. What a good friend you are to us. We thank you for that, Lord. Let's partake. we stand. I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over us before we take off for the rest of our day. If you did want prayer for anything, um, you can come forward and there'll be some folks up here that would love to lay hands on you, pray for you. If it is that you need to grow in patience or wrestling with something that you feel like you need just extra help with, uh, we'll be down here. Uh, but if not, I'm just going to pray and we can take off. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for brothers and sisters to be able to walk this journey out with. We thank you that we get to be honest with you about our struggles and our frustrations and the things that we wrestle with. Would you help us to continue to see you in our day-to-day -day lives, to hear your voice, to be able to see how it is that you're in front of us and in us and behind us. Well, we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes to your goodness, that you would fill us and give us strength to be able to live this life out and to be able to be a blessing to those people who don't know you and want to know you and need to know you. And so we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.